Welcome to the No Relation NFL Podcast, Christmas week, week 16. Matt, how you doing? Happy holidays. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Happy holidays indeed. We got, we got Sundays, Christmas Day games. And you know what? Maybe maybe this is a, a bah humbug thing for me to say, but you know, once the afternoon gets going on Christmas Day, it gets kind of boring. I'm not a big NBA guy, certainly not NBA in the regular season. So I don't need to see LeBron James on Christmas Day. That doesn't do it for me. But these two games do, and it's just going to make the day better, don't you think? Yes and no. I mean, I don't watch any NBA. I grew up in Pittsburgh. We don't we don't have a team. I know very right. little about the league. Respect it, but never has been my bag. But I got to say, the wife is certainly not thrilled that the NFL is playing Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, let alone Steelers Ravens. Because there's no way out. That is there. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm working. I mean, I'm watching. Right. Well, yeah, but at least it's late in the afternoon. What? Four thirty. 4.30 start for you, so that's not too bad. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we'll do Christmas morning with the kids, of course. And But we we um, we go to Christmas Eve at my parents, and I'll be watching games the whole time, and that's a big dinner, and that's, you know, all the gift-giving, and I'll be kind of not involved in that. And then Christmas morning's cool, and then a bunch of people come here Christmas Day, um, and I'm not going to be a whole heck of a lot of help in terms of, you know, cleaning up and doing all that kind of stuff either. <laughs> <laughs> so we're coming from from different perspectives. You got the heat exactly. on you this weekend, but it'll be good. Yeah. So, um, what do you think about that game, Pittsburgh? Um, to be honest, it's a little early in the week. I haven't quite transitioned to next week. I'm still in that phase of. Uh, you remember when I was at ESPN? I used to host a chat every noon on Wednesday, which was like exact middle of the week. And to me, that's when I like changed my clocks forward and I started thinking about the next upcoming week as opposed to digesting all the things that happened the day before. But just looking at the Ravens right now, I think a key for them is their offensive line is really coming along well right now. It's healthy. The first-round pick, Stanley's playing really well. Yonda's back to being a dominant player. That um, They're a handful, and, and they're running the ball pretty well. And with two backs, so I think that's noteworthy for sure. And you don't know whatever you're going to get from Flacco. That's always an up-and-down proposition. But the, the Ravens' defense is very good, although the Eagles ran on them last week. And I need to investigate that a little more. You know, what happened there? Um, I think Pittsburgh's offense is just really hard to play against, and I think the Steelers' defense has come a long way. Mm-hmm. So kind of classic Pittsburgh-Baltimore game as far as good matchup, kind of pound each other. Yeah, I think so. You know, I don't see massive advantages on either side of the ball. I mean, I do think the Steelers are the more talented team. I trust their quarterback a little bit more. You know, I'm not sure that the Ravens have a great answer for Antonio Brown. But they've been so levy on Bell driven that if he can't doesn't have a lot of running room, it's going to be tough sledding. Right. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I still think maybe I'm not sold on the Ravens. Maybe I need to uh... – get, you know, more excited about that team. But I, I just thought that they're just kind of flat a lot of this season. And then the New England game I saw, and they weren't very impressive. I just think Pittsburgh is, you know, just just elevated itself, and it's, it's just a better program. So I, I expect Pittsburgh to win, but 
Who knows? What about I do too, that? But it's, this time of year, the Ravens know what they're doing. They're seasoned. They're really good on special teams. Their kicker never misses a kick. You know, I mean, like, they're not easy to play against, though. But does this familiarity on both sides, is that going to – is that just mute because both teams and both coaches know this their opponents so well? It's a good question. I, I don't know who that favors. I don't think it, I don't think it favors either. Um, yeah. Division games, you know, we're going to see a ton of them these next two weeks across the league are always hard to predict because of that familiarity factor. Um, I never really know who to lean to in divisional games. Right, right. Interesting. <clears throat> I think another story in the AFC is New England's defense is really starting to play well. And they kind of carried the game. I mean, Denver's defense played well in that game. But New England, you know, dominated Denver's offense. I know Denver's offense is really struggling. But it does seem, I, I, I did some study, and it looks like ever since that Seattle game, and by the way, that was the last time Gronk got a catch this year. That New England defense has gotten better. They, you know, they gave 30 in that game, and they only gave up more than 17 once, and that was against the Ravens. And their, you know, their special teams screwed up twice deep. So it's been playing really well. I mean, should the league be scared about this New England defense? Yeah, I think that is kind of like the unreported story here with the with the Patriots is. Of course, they're well coached, but they keep things simple. I mean, contrary to popular belief, they're not super scheme diverse and throw a ton at you. I mean, it's more of an execution based defense. Um, but guys like Trey Flowers are coming on and providing some pass rush. I like this young kid a lot. Their defensive pack tackles aren't household names, but they're really hard to move off the point, and, and their run defense is quite good. I thought the secondary played a great game as a whole against Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, and McCourty's a really good free safety. They're good at linebacker as well. Um, and I'm pretty sure that they're the defense that's allowed the fewest points in the whole league this year. You know, I mean, it's a, it, nobody ever talks yeah. about it, but, I mean, they, they always allow yardage, but they don't allow points, and it's just a Belichick thing. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It, you know, Kyle Van Noyes come over there you know, from the trade from Detroit, and he's played pretty well, hasn't he? Yeah, and uh, I, that's one thing that, I, that I, I respect Belichick and the Patriots for doing, and I'm shocked more teams don't. But, I mean, look at guys like, not all of them are contributing, but they do it every year, where guys that are high picks, Shea McClellan was a first-round pick of the Bears, right. Markavis Mingo, um, what's the face he's mentioned, Cuban Noy was an early second-round pick that – I'm sure that the Patriots like these players coming out of college, and a lot of them go to bad teams or the wrong situation and kind of flop out, and Belichick gets them for 10 cents on the dollar, brings them in, and uses them better, You know, uses them how they should have been used coming out of school. And a lot of times there's a lot of reasons for why they don't shine You know, that, that first couple years in the league. But there's obviously talent there, and you bring in all these defensive guys that are former first-round picks that can run and hit, and you know they're good combine guys and all those type of things, um, and see what sticks. You know who did that a lot was Mike Shanahan in Denver. He was big yeah. on that, and you know the the uh, Gerard Warrens of the world, and and it, it's because of two reasons, at least from my experience with Shanahan. One is because. You, they trust their draft grades throughout these guys' careers. They, they continue to look at the draft grades. If they like the guy 
coming out of college, they're going to still like them four years later. And this is probably even bigger. They trust themselves. They they think they can coach up guys. And that's clearly what Belichick is doing, and, and it works. And right, the trades that Shanahan made and, and trades that Belichick makes, you're like, oh, God, that makes sense. Kyle Van Noy is, uh, is perfect for New England. McCullough is perfect for New England. These guys are going to fit because they fit that system. No doubt. No doubt. And you know they have talent. I mean, it, it, maybe there's off-the-field issues or work ethic issues or intelligence issues or whatever, and you can figure those things out when you get them in the building. You don't have much invested in them anyways. If you don't like them, you can just move on from them and cut them. It doesn't cost you anything. But you know they have talent. I mean, they're early-round picks for a reason, and they were successful at one point in their life not that long ago. And the newest one that I'm kind of interested to see is what's Michael Floyd going to do the rest of the year for them? I was going to ask you about that. Did you like that? Did you, from a football standpoint and a fix standpoint, did you like that when when they when you saw that claim on Thursday? Did you go, man, that makes sense? And because oh, I found I found it to be very fascinating. Absolutely, and it only made sense for a contender, you know, to keep them for the rest of the year type of deal, and not you know you're not signing them to a long term deal. You're just picking them up and putting them on the roster. Um, I was asked right after he was cut here in local radio in Pittsburgh, you know, what about putting him opposite Antonio Brown? And I had a hard time putting, you know, holes in that in that, that plan. I thought that made a lot of sense, and it makes just as much, if not more, in New England. Um, even my only concerns, and we don't know this yet, is the New England offense takes time to learn. You know, I mean, it's a lot of timing-based things. We've seen the Chad Johnsons of the world and all the second-round picks they've used over the years come in there and just struggle to get acclimated. I wonder if it'll pay off or not. I mean, I, don't try, I have no problem with the talent. I think it's certainly worth the very, very minimal risk. But I just wonder if him and Brady can get on the same page and he can learn the scheme quick enough to make any difference. Well, quick enough probably is the second week in January. That's when they'll start the playoffs. I mean, that's a month, yeah, oh, you point. know. That, he could do it, right? Yeah, yeah. And he's more talented than Hogan or any of their other bigger outside-the-numbers type guys. Right. Well, you know, that's what I think works with this show is that we come from different perspectives. You, you come from a scout perspective. I come from a reporter perspective. And what I liked about that pickup was two things. They, the Patriots don't overthink things. They just do things. They either had a 31st or 32nd waiver claim priority. I don't know the tiebreak between them and Dallas. But they didn't say, okay, well, we just won't claim him and we'll sign him much cheaper. We want him. We're claiming him. It's only $1.2 million. This salary cap room that we have is going to go away in a couple weeks anyways. Who cares? Let's spend that money and guarantee that we get him. And another thing I liked about it was – the league probably cringed because the league probably loved the statement that the Arizona Cardinals made by cutting this guy. Bill Belichick doesn't care about anybody's statements. If he thinks this guy can help his team, he's going to do it. So it probably wasn't a very popular move around the league because it kind of undermined the whole idea of what the Arizona Cardinals are doing. But he doesn't care about that stuff. And that's why, you know, he's in his own world and he wins. And it's just, it's little subtle things like that just separates him from everybody else yeah that's really well said and i was curious you know uh, if he would have if he would have not gotten if he would have gotten past waivers 
if you're his agent, are you talking to teams like the Bears or the Eagles or the Browns or, you know, teams that could use a receiver that aren't contenders and try to get a long-term deal done? Now, you know, he's not the typical middle-of-the-season, late-in-the-season type free agent. I was curious how those negotiations would go. Belichick didn't even let those things happen, just grabs them. Um, and I'm with you that it's very righteous and the right thing to do for the Cardinals. And, you know, this is a guy that had some alcohol-related issues coming out of Notre Dame. Um, I don't know if he was a problem or what his situation is. I have no idea on those things. But the Cardinals have Chandler Jones, Calais Campbell. I mean, they have a couple big-name free agents coming up. Floyd's about to be a free agent. I don't think they'd ever in intentions of resigning him anyways. So what they lose in the deal? You know, I mean, it wasn't like they were super righteous in this deal. Right. Well, yeah. It, it always know. comes down to football anyways. Right. I mean, let's not forget. But, you know, I, I saw some reporters go, oh, great. He, his punishment for the DUI is Go gets, play for Super Bowl. goes to a better team and can win a Super Bowl. <laughs> okay. That's all – this part of it's just football, you know. He he'll have to deal with the legal side. He's not getting scot free of the of the legal issues. But and and, and hey, and, and this is not a statement about what's right or wrong morally. This is just what's right or wrong football wise. And football wise, Belichick's the cut throw son of a gun, and he's going to do everything. He, he you know this is very Al Davis like. I don't I don't care what you did. I don't care the statement. This guy can help my team, and I'm signing him. Right. And it reminds me of LeGarrette Blunt when he left Pittsburgh. You know, I mean, he had gotten in trouble with Le'Veon Bell for smoking and was falling out of favor here heavy and causing problems. And the second he gets cut, Belichick grabs him, and he's having the best year of his career. Yeah. Yeah, and not getting in trouble either. And, you know, that's another thing. So it's not like they have a bunch of renegades over there. Correct. You know, right. he, keeps them in, he keeps them in line. Uh, let's get back Solely on the football field here, um, this NFC North is getting really, really juicy, and the Packers are getting really, really interesting. I mean, Packers, Lions, how do you see this thing following fall the next couple weeks? Yeah, and I look at the Packers, and I really, I, I immediately lump them in with the Steelers as these are teams that not only do they have a ton of trophies in their two buildings and their historic franchises. But most of us thought they would win their division. They'd be a contender going, you know, in the preseason or in the offseason. And they've fell on hard times. But now they're really hot. And I think they both fit that mold of that's the team you don't want to play in the playoffs type of team. You know, assuming they finish the, these last two games out really strong, Hall of Fame type quarterbacks, uh, a history of winning, obviously, like you said, recent rings. And you look at them and say, boy, I mean, now they are who we thought they were. And I have a lot of respect for the organization and the way Rodgers is playing, and I'm really impressed with Ty Montgomery this past week. I mean, he's turning into a true running back and breaking tackles and inside run. And uh, Kristen Michael, they're getting a little bit out of as well. Defense is much better than it was during that nasty stretch when they were just getting abused and throwing in any corner they could find out there. Uh, I tend to think – Oh, they almost stumbled against the Bears, and the Bears are a little better than people realize. But I think that they went out and end up being that hot team entering the playoffs. Do you think they go and and beat Detroit in Detroit? I do. I, I mean, I like yeah. Detroit. Um, 
I just think Green Bay is playing better football than Detroit right now. That could be a, that's very likely going to be the flex game. That will be the New Year's night game, and, and that could be a good one, and it could be a preview of the next week's game. Those two teams could easily play the next week. You know, whoever wins that game hosts it. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I mean, I, I haven't really studied the, the playoff scenarios, but I would imagine the Giants are pretty locked in at that five seed, and if the Lions go – if they win this upcoming week, lose to the Packers, would have a pretty good chance to be the sixth seed. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, Tampa Bay's in there and a few other teams. But, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's... Washington. It's it's going to be... Yeah, Washington, they screwed up last night. It's going to be a fun two weeks in both in both uh, conferences. and It's going to be great. Um, what a, John McMullen of, of FanRag wrote a story today saying that Derek Carr is limiting the Raiders' offense and, you know, because of the finger injury and they can't you know he's taking shotgun snaps basically on every play I mean have you been watching that is, is that hurting the Raiders yeah they scored 32 I mean, points in the last two games I mean I, I don't think he's the same player right now that he was whenever we were having MVP talks about him and maybe that was a little unfounded to begin with I just think that the finger's really bothering him and uh, you know he was in the cold on a national stage against Kansas City Everybody saw it, and I'm sure the cold didn't help against a quality defense. Um, and, and, yeah, you know, being in the shotgun does limit you. Um, fewer two-backs runs and things like that. Um, but the guy that I think deserves a little bit of heat, and I guess this is my question for you, is Amari Cooper now, two years in a row, has really just become a guy the last month or two of the year. And I thought he was a – and the absolute rookie rookie wall poster boy last year. And this year, I can't explain why he's not helping more. He had 173 yards against Tampa Bay in the last week of October, and he hasn't had more than 59 yards since. That's wow. a long stretch. Last it year is. he had a foot injury to go along with, maybe to help the rookie wall. But this year, I, I don't know. He, he told reporters today that, he said he'd been getting covered by the safeties a lot, you know, and, and I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I, I still believe in him. I mean, I, you know, he's still amongst the leaders. He'd probably make the Pro Bowl tonight, whatever that means. But, yeah, his production has waned a little bit. Yeah, and I, mean, I still like the player a lot, but it's two years in a row when we need you most and you're not, you know, really contributing in a massive way. Um I know the Raiders aren't going to have a ton of off-season needs, but I don't think it would kill them to get a pure slot receiver type, you know, a Wes Welker type. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, their their backup receivers aren't very good. You know, Seth no. Roberts, he drops a lot. Andre Holmes, just a very limited stretch-to-field guy. Yeah, I mean, they, they could. And you, you just hit it. They, they don't have a lot of needs, so maybe they'll have the ability to go do that. Right, right. You know, I mean, grab a, the second round or – whoever the best slot receiver in the free agency is and just add him to the mix and, you know, pretty much complete the offense. And I would like to see him get a running back, too. Would, would Chris McCaffrey be a fit for them? I don't know enough about the prospects in general, but it sounds like he's a Reggie Bush type, you know, that's as much receiver as he is running back. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I, I'm not sure. Yeah what they want from their running backs. I mean, I don't think he's a slot guy. I mean, I think what I've heard about McCaffrey is he's a, a much better Shane Vereen. Yeah. 
Well, everybody has. I know it's something we talk about down the road, but everybody seems to have him earmarked to go to the Patriots in the first round. I think, you know, that's, that's a little lazy and, you know, not connecting, <laughs> but, you know, whatever. Hey, what's your thoughts on Dallas? Um, I thought they made a big statement. I'm talking about the two rookies, of course. We're talking about Mari Cooper and hitting the rookie roll last year. People were starting to really, you know, grumble about Prescott and, and Zeke hitting the wall. They both had big games and, and, and big answers. And, you know, these guys aren't going to hit the rookie wall in the playoffs. They're going to be too amped up. They're going to have that week off. I mean, that was a big, a big, I guess, statement game for the Cowboys and those two guys. you agree? I do. I mean, especially because we're starting to hear that Romo rumbling and, which yeah. I think was warranted. I mean, uh, I mean, Romo's a good player. Uh, I think it's a, the obvious conversation. But I think Dak shut that up, and he was highly accurate, uh, real precise. I thought he handled himself really well against a quality defense. The Bucks D isn't great against the run, though, and we saw that. And the team in general made too many mistakes. And I think Collinsworth said something on the lines of, boy, the Bucks remind me of a college team, you know, that they're – they don't know that they don't know yet. You know, they're young, and they right. think they can beat the world, and therefore they can, and they've taken on the Winston persona, which is awesome. Um, but you can't go to Dallas in a primetime game and, you know, make as many mistakes as they did. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm with you. I mean, I think Dak and Zeke are really strong. And you're right. I mean, before that game, I thought there was a four- or five-week stretch where – the offense wasn't quite quite as crisp, you know, both running and especially passing, third down issues. Um, I didn't think he was throwing the ball as well. And the guy that still worries me, though, is I wonder if we've seen the best of Des Bryant's career. Because of the injuries? And he's just getting up in age a little bit, and he seems a little more sluggish and a little less explosive, and he has had a plenty of injuries. And um, is he going to turn into – Brandon Marshall and be a physical contested catch guy that doesn't run away from anyone, or is he going to get back to being compared with Julio and A.J. Green and those guys? I wonder. I mean, it might be that turning point of his career where he becomes less dynamic. That's really interesting. I I don't know, and this may be unfair. I don't know him. I've never talked to him. I don't know if he has it in him mentally – I'm not saying intelligence. I'm just saying want to, if he does have to change his game, I don't know if he can handle an erosion of, of ability. I think that might be hard on him. I don't know. I mean, the one thing about him, he's always been terrific in the red zone, go up and get it, be big and physical. I don't think those qualities will fail him. It's just route running, snapping off a break and beating a guy and gaining separation or running past people. Um, I'm not seeing it as much, and I just wonder, is that the beginning of the end? That's really interesting. He's he's 28 already. I, you know what? You would ask yeah, me I mean, before the show, I'd probably say, oh, he's like 26. That kind of crept up on me, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, it doesn't take long. I mean, after five or six years in the league, I mean, all of a sudden you're not the same physical guy, and I'm just wondering if that's happening. And what's interesting, and it doesn't matter for this year, and they're thinking Super Bowl, is if I'm right, if that is coming, Terrence Williams is a free agent, you can't count on Witten for long. I mean, all of a sudden, their receiving core might be a problem. Yeah, but they, you know, they figured out two big areas 
this offseason at quarterback sure. and running back, so they can maybe you know go spend some you know money on or in draft picks on that position. But uh, you know you also have to fix the defense as well because the defense needs some fine tuning. So that would although yeah, that Irving dude, whoever he came from, holy smokes, their defensive end that was just taking over the game. David Irving, I mean, I'm like, wow. I I didn't know much about him at all. I mean, every time he's out there, he makes plays, and he was shining in that game. I think he was like a a character guy that they got pretty pretty cheaply. Yeah, I was going to – he's on my list, so I'm going to definitely watch. Staying in the division, and and when I continue to ask you again, I've, I've, I've said this before, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just asking. Are you sold on the Giants yet? Half of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm sold on 12 Giants. Whoever's on defense <laughs> in Odell. The rest of them I'm not sold on at all. And, yeah. I mean, they're going to get in the postseason. I think that's pretty much a foregone conclusion. I think their defense can hang with anybody and keep things really close, and they're really hard to play against. I think Spagnolo's doing a great job, and they stuff the run, and – um, they, they blitz like crazy, and they do it really well. But I don't like the way Eli's playing. I still don't think there's a running game. Um, I think it's Odell or bust on offense. This is a question. McAdoo's an offensive guy, and his offense ain't playing very well. And he's a first-year head coach, and his team is winning. So does he deserve credit, or does he need to pick up the offense? That's a good question. You know, I mean, I always wonder with those guys that, have been, you know, coordinators, play callers, and then all of a sudden you have to do everything on the sideline during the game and your face is buried in your your play sheet and you're thinking about the next drive and you're not thinking about when to call timeouts and all those things. I mean, I haven't noticed, I haven't paid a ton of attention, but I haven't noticed him unable to manage a game. But there's also a very small sample size. I mean, something like that could certainly, you know, rear its ugly head in the playoffs for sure. Um but I think a lot of it, and a lot of people have talked about this, that when you're in three wide so much, I mean, they're in well over 90%. That They're in three wide way more than anyone else in the league, and everybody knows it's coming, but they really only have two good receivers, in my opinion. I mean, Victor Cruz is a shell of himself. I really right. like Shepard. I really like Beckham. So, in a way, you're kind of taking a round peg and shoving it in a square hole in that we're playing three wide even though we only have two good ones. You know, I mean, it's not like you have four great ones and they're begging to get on the field, you know, with with Atlanta or somebody like that. Or even Green right. Bay when they had Cobb and Nelson and Adams, and, you know, that's where he came from. So that doesn't help. And plus it's just so much harder to run the football on first and ten without a fullback, you know, without just so many fewer runs. And everybody knows what they are. Staying on McAdoo, could it be, could their offense be missing him because he has to do so much now and he's not, you know, running the offense as much as he was before? Could 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 his lack of attention be on that group particular be hurting the offense because he has to do everything else? Yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it, and we don't know the answer. Obviously, I mean, the people in the building would know, Eli would know, uh, the offensive coordinator would would know, but yeah, that's a good question. Is if you take a really good offensive mind that deserves a promotion. I'm not even talking about Ben necessarily, but anyone that just deserves a promotion. And all of a sudden they're head coaching now, and you take their behind-the-scenes 
X's and O's and during the week preparation out of the equation that used to be there that was a positive of your team in previous years, um, that you know that hurts. You know, I mean, it, a lot of times you talk to head coaches and the thing they miss most is coaching. Yeah, yeah, they spend their 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 total CEO. They're they're dealing with the general manager. They're dealing with the media way more. They're they're mm-hmm. you know kissing babies, shaking hands. It, it's it's a different deal. Yeah, you're not grinding the tape in a dark room ten hours a day like the offensive line coaches are. You know, no, I mean you're putting in the hours, but it's just in different ways. And I think it drives some of them crazy, and they miss just being a coordinator. No doubt. You know, now we, we've talked about Todd Gurley a little bit in the early in the season, and what point is it his fault? What point is it he not helping himself? I mean, I saw during the game on Thursday night you put a quote, and I thought it was really fascinating. Kind of saying, well, he hasn't run hard in a while. I mean, is it not just the offensive line? Is he, I mean, this is a guy who's not producing. It is any of it his fault? I think so. And I gave him a pass for like two months, and because I love the talent, I love the player. But after a while, I mean, has he been on Sports Center once this year? You know what I mean? Like, he's has he had one highlight run that he's made a guy miss trucked another and then ran away from everybody for a 50-yarder. I mean, I don't, I don't I think can't he think has a 25-yard run. Right. You know, and yes, I mean, his situation couldn't be worse. Their offensive line is very bad. Um, everyone is going to key to take him away first and foremost. Uh, the rookie quarterback sure doesn't help things either. He probably doesn't get get him out of bad plays at the line of scrimmage. I mean, he certainly isn't going to be Peyton Manning pre-snap or those type of deals to get you in favorable runs. But Sometime, I mean, I just want to see backyard running being the best athlete on the field, my 10-year-old in flag football when we played against this kid, Julie, and it didn't matter about skiing. I mean, nobody could catch him. You know I mean, it'd just right. be the best guy on the field once in a while, twice a game. Right. You know, I mean, even if it's an 18-yard run or a 5-yard run that you should have lost three on, be a superstar once in a while. I, I want to see the flashes. I want to see the desire, and I don't see that. That doesn't mean he can't go to the Hall of Fame and rush for 1,600 yards next year, but I don't like what I'm seeing. Yeah, at some point it's got to be on you, you know, at some point. Talk of continuing the disappointment train, talk of Houston, what's going on in Houston. I have a two-part question. One is, is Osweiler done? I mean, can he rebound from this? Maybe in the offseason. I mean, this year he's done, right? I would hope. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a long overdue move. I don't believe for one bit that it was football related, and we don't care what any of the players are making in terms of contracts or what we invested in them. That's a load of crap. You know, he deserved to be benched long ago. Same with Blake Bortles. You know that these guys are crippled the team, um, and. I was happy for Savage. You know, he's a pit guy, and I've watched him for a while, and I I think he can be okay. I think you have to stick with Savage. Um, I guess the question is, and I don't know, and it would be easy to find because a lot of people have talked about it, but from what I understand, after next year you can part ways with Osweiler without him crippling your cap too bad. So maybe you keep him around and you bring in a Romo or a Cutler or – Hoyer even, you know, I mean, somebody that's played in this league before to compete. And I think the same thing's true with Jacksonville was 
and I recently wrote an article about it, like if I was in charge of the Jags, I would bring back Bortles. I would either bring in a head coach that's a quarterback whisperer or have him bring in a, you know, a coordinator, a quarterback coach that has a long history of reviving quarterbacks because I think he's savable, but I like him more than Osweiler. Um, but I would know what it means, sit on my hands and say, okay, I'm fine with Blake and Chad Henney again. If there's one in the first round sitting there that I like, I'm taking them. If there's one in the second or third, I'm taking them. Um, if there's a, a free agent or somebody that I trust out there, I'm bringing them in. Because you can't just say, hey, Blake, it's your job. You know, you've done so well this year. You'll be fine. No. Right. Well, you know, in, in a lot of ways, replacing Bortles is going to be easier than Osweiler. Yes. Because, you know, Osweiler, like you said they can get rid of him after next year, but it's $37 million in. Portals is much cheaper because of the rookie contracts, and, and he only has really one more expensive year left. And it's not that nearly as expensive as Osweiler. And if you replace him, you say, okay, well, we screwed up the number three overall pick three years ago, which is terrible. And you don't want to do that ever again. But you can move a little cleaner because it's not killing your salary cap like Osweiler is going to. Not as much of a sunken cost. Right. Here's a quick question right. for you. If, if Tony Romo... We're healthy all year, and he was a quarterback of the Jaguars or Texans. Does his team win that division going away? Uh, yeah, you know, I'd probably say Texans for sure, you yeah. know, just because they're, they're better on defense. But, yeah, if Tony Romo, if Tony Romo was, they could be, shoot, 11-5, and five, right? 12-4. and four. Yeah, right. I mean, they, they all have easy schedules. I mean, the division games aren't difficult. I mean, if I was the Texans with Tony Romo right now, I might be saying they're one of the best teams in the AFC. Right. You know, closing up the, the Texans, and I, I don't know if this is a question, more of a statement, and, it, and it's not a knock on Savage. You may come across as a knock on Savage. But, you know, I know they're all selling Savage and saying, you know, he can really do this, and we're, we're happy about him. And he was in the program when they gave a boatload of money to Brock Osweiler who, like Savage, was an inexperienced question mark. So, I mean, obviously they didn't, they weren't that high on Savage. They gave somebody, wanted to pay somebody else $72 million over four years. And he's I a mean, right, pick. I mean, and, I mean, yeah, agreed. I mean, they probably do have high hopes for him. He's a big-armed guy, um, fits the system and all those good things. You know, they'd ride Mallet. They've had people like that that are big you know, pocket passers, and I think that's very much what O'Brien wants. But I think they, it, you know, it, there was by no means could they have looked at him this off season and said, "Boy, we're confident enough to make him the starter, and we don't need to do anything to the position." I mean, he, he hasn't played, and right. they're there next to him. I think that it tells you everything that he, and it took him this long to put him in. Yeah, it's. I wonder if Houston maybe offers. The Jets is a three for Hackenberg, or is, or is O'Brien not big on Hackenberg anymore? I mean, he could have drafted him this year, but that went out of the question when they signed Osweiler. Maybe maybe they can consider that. I don't know. I mean, again, that's no answer, but it's something. But it might be. You know? I mean, at least it gives you hope. Yeah, yeah. Hope's, hope's big in the spring, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Steve Smith, do you think he's a Hall of Famer? He just passed Marvin Harrison for seventh all-time in receiving yardage. I'm thinking, wow, you know, that's probably Hall of Fame numbers. And I never really thought of him as a Hall of Famer. Maybe that's my fault. 
But do you think he's a Hall of Famer? That's funny because I felt the exact same way because I was asked that this offseason, and I was like, mm, I think he's like the Heinz Ward Hall of Very Good, not quite. There's been so many great receivers in this era. He's slightly below. And then I watched the football life of him and didn't realize quite the numbers he had going for him. And then you see this, he just passed Marvin. I mean, Marvin's a big dog in the in terms of, you know, yeah. overall production. And just and went into the Hall of Fame himself. Right, right. And I have to think that, yeah, you know, Steve Smith's probably a Hall of Famer. And I think he's that type of guy. This, this isn't, this isn't, doesn't mean he goes to the Hall of Fame, but if he's playing in your hometown, every kid in the neighborhood has a Steve Smith jersey. Right. Yeah, he, uh, he is a Hall of Fame effort guy for sure, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, I certainly want him on my team, you know. Yeah, yeah. He he, he wants to win. It, it means a lot to him, you know. I remember um, I remember when the 49ers beat the Panthers in the playoffs during the 2013 season to go to the title game. The Panthers blew a home game in the playoffs, and... I was walking in the locker room, and Steve Smith's two sons were at his locker. One of the, one of the excuse me, Panthers offensive linemen was talking to the kids. He's like, is your dad okay? Just basically tell him, this means a lot to your dad. Take care of your dad. And I'm like, really? wow. You know what I mean? And, and, and he's telling children this because, this, and this is a grown man, and take care of your dad because this loss is killing him. And, I thought that was really poignant. I thought it was a cool moment. Yeah, that is very cool. You know that. You know what I, I mean? mean? He's going to take this yeah, home with him. This was, is going to stay with him for a long yeah. time. You know. Yeah, exactly. And that's what you want. I mean, that's what coaches want. They want these guys to go home and be pissed off after bad losses, right? And contrary to popular belief, there are, and you know this, there's a lot of football players that play football because they're good at it, not because that would be their chosen profession. Exactly, and 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 this is a this is a little guy who had a fight. You know, he's five ten. You know what I mean? That's that's what I always liked about. And I'm going on a tangent, but that's what I always liked a guy like John Lynch. We talk, his dad was wealthy, very very wealthy. John Lynch cracked heads for 15 years because he wanted to do it, mm-hmm. not because he needed he to put on the table. You know, and that's you know. <clears throat> that goes a long way, I think. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's no question about it. Yeah. I mean, there's also so, a lot of kids that play football or because that's their only way out of a bad neighborhood situation, whatever, you know, that they realize that's their mean to the end. And, and that's, that's their cool, only and that's, to hey, get great out. for them, too, but it just, it just shows the guys, you know, sometimes heart really plays a big part of it, and I think Steve Smith is one of those guys. No question. Yeah. I want to end the show with this. Um, there's a report this week that Sean Payton may be shopped by the Saints again in a trade. Would would you put him on top of your list? Is, is he still a, a top-level head coach? I think and I don't so. know the answer. I mean, I think so. I mean, I, I think that consistently designs offense extremely well. Do we hear this every year, though, about Sean Payton? You know, somebody's going to trade for him. Well, yeah. I mean, so, why so obviously they want to – there's a faction that wants to move on. A faction, you know. I, I get it, but as long as Breeze is there, why do you want to move on? 
You know, I mean, are you going to bring in Rob, you know, Rex Ryan? <laughs> I mean, are you going to bring in some defensive-minded guy and not throw the ball over the field anymore? I mean, promote Dennis Allen. You know, I mean, you know, that's not the answer. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like there's good things going on in New Orleans. They, they won a Super Bowl. They went all in on the cap, and now they're still kind of paying for it. But they're slowly rebuilding a defense. The offense remains one of the best in the league. Um, does Peyton rub people wrong? Has he been there too long? I, I mean, it seems like him and Drew Brees should ride out in the sunset together. Yeah, and it's only going to be two or three years anyways, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, and I don't know, I mean, do, do the Rams say, hey, that's the guy That's the guy to fix our offense? That's the guy to, you know, to, to coach golf for the next 20 years or 12 years? But if you do that, the Rams don't have any draft picks, and they can't give up much for a coach. They need to save those those precious draft picks for players. So I don't know if that's a good fit. Right, right. And, you know, I mean, yeah, I like Sean Payton, but um... – I'm not giving up a first-round pick for the guy. I don't know. Right. Trading for coaches has always been weird for me. Right. right. It, it worked for Tampa. I mean, yeah, they got the Super Bowl in the first year. And now everybody's talking about Gruden to the Rams. I mean, ESPN's just going to continue to pay him more and pay him more. He's just going to act like he's mad every December when his name comes up and just get a new contract, you know, get get bigger deal. Do you, do you see Gruden leaving? Probably not. I mean, he has to realize, boy, this is a sweet gig, you know. Um, but, I mean, he's legendary for being that guy that goes in the office at 4 a.m. and only needs three hours sleep and, you know, he is a, and loves it and he's a grinder, you know, the Gruden grinder. I could see him missing it, you know, money aside and all those things. I don't think he minds hard work. I, I think he misses – my hunch is he misses being in charge of a team, you know, that uh, it, it just seems like it's in his blood that he loves it as much as any coach you would see on the outside at least, you know, not being on the inside to know. Um, I could see him wanting to get his hands on Jared Goff or, you know, whoever or Blake Bortles or whatever. Um, but it's a pretty darn good gig he's got going. You know, when I was chasing those Raiders rumors the last couple of years, I talked to somebody close to him and the guy said, you know the – the saying, living the dream, he said, well, that's John Gruden's life, and he's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, he works like two, three days a week. He gets paid huge money. He lives in Florida. He's, he's loving life. So we'll see if that, you know, that itch to get back to it ever catches up. But he's been gone for eight years now. That's a, that's a while. Wow. wow. Uh, that surprised me. I would have said five. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, I think after the 08 season. So, you know, like everybody expected Bill Cowher to come back until he never did. Yeah, now you don't even hear about so that being a possibility anymore. Got a bunch of money in the, in the bank, and I'm hanging with my kids, and, you know. It's, no it's, stress. It's a brutal life, man. You know I mean? Oh, People yeah. have asked me since oh, I yeah. left the Browns, you know, do you want to go back? And I'm like, not since I was at ESPN and now in the media and stuff, I mean, I see my kids every day. I put them on the bus. I get them off the bus. I know if I go to all their games. You know, I would have never done those things with, you know, if I was a scout. I'd have been out of town. And you've been stressed. And, and, and all their work is always predicated on somebody else's performance, you know. True. And, yeah. And it's just, you know, I mean, or, or a freak injury. You know, Teddy Bridgewater gets injured on non-contact in August, on a Tuesday in August, and, 
that's, you know, the coach's blood pressure shoots up 40 points and it stays there for the rest of the year. It's just, right. it's not worth it. Right. Yeah, I mean, these, a lot of these, guys are, are, and, these guys are grinding in March for 16 Sundays that start six months away. It's, I don't think people realize just how brutal this is. And, and people don't realize what it takes to get there. I mean, all these guys were once the running back coach at North Dakota State, you know. Like, right. And then they're, they're lucky enough to go somewhere across country, you know. Like, uh, I remember when I got hired at Akron, we, we hired coaches from all over, and our offensive line coach was at UTEP. They just got fired the week before. He packed his family in an RV or in a, you know, in a big Mayflower truck and came from UTEP to Akron. And the second he got there, we're telling him, you better recruit six offensive linemen. I mean, get to work. We need to rebuild this program. You know? And meanwhile, his whole family's scrambling with five kids and, you know, I mean, and making forty grand a year at Akron. You know, it wasn't like yeah. it's in the you know, we're not buying him a house and setting him up. You know, we don't make money either. Right, yeah, it's uh, it's something. But anyways, we'll probably talk more about that in a couple of weeks as coaches get fired and talk about who's going to replace them. But for the next couple of weeks, we're definitely all in playoff mode. Matt, we'll talk next Tuesday as we get ready for week 17. Have a great holiday, everybody. This is No Relation NFL Podcast with Matt and Bill Williamson. Take care. <laughs>